0: This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's Community Access Media Organization. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hello and welcome once more to the program. I hope that Tonglen, the meditation we did together in our last program, was useful during your week. Or was it too counterintuitive for you and you found it too difficult to take on the suffering of others? and give out all your happiness. As I said before, Tonglen is not considered a beginner's practice and really comes towards the end of the training in the path to enlightenment of Tibetan Buddhism. So don't feel too bad if you find it hard. The aim of the practice is to develop Bodhicitta, the intention to attain enlightenment for the benefit of all living beings. Of course, Bodhicitta is not for the faint-hearted, we usually find our own suffering difficult enough to endure and we hardly ever find enough happiness. So taking on the suffering of all other beings and giving them all our happiness runs against everything that we normally do. However, if we want to attain full enlightenment, it's said in the Mahayana teachings that it's essential to develop this kind of attitude. Now, I don't know because I've not yet developed bodhicitta, but the teachers I have heard all say That in fact when you take on the suffering of others and give them your happiness you actually experience more happiness. And it kind of stands to reason because so much of our misery comes from focusing primarily on ourselves and our own happiness. Generally the Buddhist teachings and certainly mind training like the rays of the Sun, the text we are following, don't go in for much humor. But I came across a rather nice take on the perils of self-centeredness in a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Miserable People by Dr. Mark Borup, an ophthalmologist, believe it or not, of Stephen Covey's famous bestseller The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And Dr. Borup wrote it because he had an epiphany of sorts on misery while on an amusement park ride with his four-year-old daughter for the fourth time in a row. Misery in my life was like a visa card. It was everywhere I wanted to be, he writes. I was a virtual misery guru. And what do gurus do? They write self-help books, of course. So, he decided to write a self-help book on misery. He says, the concept was simple. Most people never really find meaning or happiness in their lives and simply resign themselves to all the mindless distraction of modern life. Daytime TV drama, for instance in order to help make the time pass by a little quicker. But they continue to dream of one day being content, and this often causes them to waste time and energy on what ends up being an unattainable goal anyway. But what if, I wondered to myself, people had a self-help book that taught them the most efficient and direct path to misery, a path that could streamline the whole process by detailing the seven most common habits found in miserable people. Armed with such knowledge, people could resign themselves more quickly to their miserable, meaningless existence and get on with the business of engaging in shallow distractions that end up consuming the vast majority of their lives anyway. And so he wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Miserable People, including the following warning written in capitals, but excuse me if I don't actually shout it out. All seven habits, if misunderstood, applied incorrectly, or outright avoided, could lead to a happy and content way of living, even to peace of mind and true serenity. Whoops, we don't want that to happen now, do we? Anyway, the point of all this is what Dr. Borup describes as the first habit of a highly miserable person, narcissism and self-centeredness. He writes, At an earlier point in human evolution, our innate self-centeredness was a valuable and necessary survival tool, but now it has become perhaps the major source of discontent and misery for most of us. It has been said that selfishness is a most peculiar disease because it causes everyone to be sick except the person who had it. But of course that's not really true at all, as it causes the most deadly spiritual sickness of all. Nobody wants to think of themselves as being selfish or self centered, yet in reality we are all guilty of this crime. To some degree, we are all overly concerned with our own well being and particular psychodramas. We tend to see our own concerns and problems as being somehow more important and tragic than similar situations involving other people, St. Teresa excluded, of course. What are we to do with this natural tendency that contributes so powerfully to our misery? The worst approach, but unfortunately the most common approach, is to deny its existence or understate its power in our lives, keep it hidden from external view but actively feed it and protect it in our inner life. And what's the healthy alternative? To constantly recognize it whenever it rears its ugly head in our everyday lives. I'm not advocating upon recognizing to loudly and publicly admit, hey everyone, I just now felt it well I was the centre of the universe. An inner recognition is all that's necessary. And with such recognition comes an awareness of how ridiculous and pretentious such thoughts are. And consequently, there's only one thing to do – laugh. This is the ultimate weapon against narcissism – to laugh at it. Realising how absurd it is for us to believe our own concerns somehow have more gravity than anyone else's problems is cause for laughter. Laugh out loud, laugh to yourself. Laugh long or laugh short, but laugh at yourself for heaven's sake. For your happiness and your peace of mind's sake, laugh. Recognizing the first habit in ourselves is recognizing the truth that we all have a tendency to take ourselves too seriously. And the best way to avoid the first habit is laugh at yourself whenever you catch yourself taking yourself way too seriously. So even in parody we can recognize that the first habit of seriously miserable people is self-centeredness and the tendency to see their problems is somehow more earth-shaking than anyone else's. As Dr. Borup says, we all have an element of the drama queen within us and it's up to us to recognize and take steps to counter it. According to Buddhism, one of the best ways to do this is to take on the suffering of others and give them our happiness. When we consider the suffering of all other beings our misery in comparison can seem minor and if we consider the happiness of all other beings we can see that the happiness of only one being is not all that important. So taking on all the suffering of others and giving them our happiness, even if it's only a mental exercise, frees us up considerably and opens our hearts we can stop being such drama queens and instead effect some real benefit in our lives. But now, before we continue, let's think about motivation as we usually do. bodhicitta being our object, let's again make that the reason for getting together today. Through this program, may I become enlightened so I can help free all other beings from suffering. Let this be our purpose today. But if it's too much for you, At least think of your own complete liberation from suffering. Thank you. Now, Incidentally, the second of Dr. Barab's seven habits is worrying about things beyond our control. He claims that once we recognize we only really have power over our own thoughts, feelings and behavior and leave things that we can't control to the universal's natural forces and Bill Gates, the happier we will be. The third habit is trying to create an identity and security through material possessions. Catching ourselves using our material or non-material possessions to hide our insecurity, we can recognize how vulnerable our sense of ourselves really is, and therefore laugh at ourselves, he writes. Buddhism, of course, encourages us to recognize that our sense of self is merely illusion, and no inherent I can be found anywhere. Security comes from knowing there is no security, especially not in material possessions. The next two habits are letting fear rule one's life and resenting all life's unfairness and seeing oneself as a victim. And the last is to live in the past or future, ignoring the only real life we have in the immediately present moment. And something that struck me when reading Dr. Borup's writing is his unstated emphasis on constant mindfulness. To really practice avoiding the seven habits of miserable people, we have to constantly watch our minds and the nasty ego-driven tricks that they get up to. Only mindfulness will help us to avoid being overtaken by them. Now returning to Tonglen, one of its great contemporary practitioners is the Buddhist nun Pema Chodron whose excellent books we've quoted from many times in these programs. I really like what she writes in Tong Len, The Path of Transformation. Let's join her in the first chapter where she writes, All sentient beings without exception have bodhicitta, which is the inherent tenderness of the heart, its natural tendency to love and care for others. But over time, in order to shield ourselves from feeling pain and discomfort, we've erected solid barriers that cover up our tenderness and vulnerability. As a result, we often experience alienation, anger, aggression and a loss of meaning in our lives, both individually and on a global scale. Somehow in the pursuit of happiness we have unwittingly created greater suffering for ourselves. Tonglen or the practice of sending and taking reverses this process of hardening and shutting down by cultivating love and compassion. In Tonglen practice, instead of running from pain and discomfort, we acknowledge them and own them fully. Instead of dwelling on our own problems, we put ourselves in other people's shoes and appreciate our shared humanity. Then the barriers start to dissolve, our hearts and minds begin to open. She goes on, Before presenting the formal practice of Tonglen, I would like to discuss a few ways that you can begin to incorporate the Tonglen outlook into your daily life. After all, how you lead your life with Maitri, that's loving kindness, and compassion for both yourself and others is really the point. What's more, if you train in the outlook on a daily basis, you will find that the formal practice comes much more naturally. Trungpa Rinpoche used to tell his students to live their lives as an experiment. In other words, be inquisitive, be open and without expectations. Then see what happens and learn from your experience. For this reason, I often suggest that students choose a limited amount of time, say three months or a year, to work with the Tonglen approach just to see how it affects their lives. But don't think that you'll be able to perfect the practice in such a short time. Tonglen is rarely a practice for the rest of your life. Practicing sitting meditation or shamatha vipassana a little bit every day is a good way to start training in the Tonglen attitude. It's a way of checking in with your state of mind like holding up a mirror to yourself. Sitting cultivates both absolute and relative bodhicitta. As an absolute bodhicitta practice it teaches us not to grasp at thoughts and emotions as solid. As a relative bodhicitta practice it teaches us Mitry and compassion for ourselves. In general, it's not a good idea to start doing the formal Tonglen practice until you have a good grounding in sitting meditation. You especially need to cultivate steadfastness, the courage and patience to sit with whatever arises during meditation. Otherwise, you might be knocked off your cushion by the emotions that Tonglen provokes. For that reason, it's always suggested That you begin and end with sitting meditation whenever you do Tong Lin. Now even if you're not on a cushion or in the meditation hall, you can experiment with a practice of mindfulness and awareness. You can use it as a tool to get in touch with what you're feeling in the present moment. For example, sometimes when I'm alone or feel myself in a quiet setting, taking a walk in the woods, gazing out my cabin window or sitting on a bench by the ocean, I let go of my thoughts and try to see what lies underneath them. Actually, this is the essence of mindfulness practice, always coming back to the immediacy of your present experience and letting go of thoughts and judgments about it. You will probably discover there is something that remains after you drop the thoughts and the storylines. What's left is the immediacy of the sense perceptions, sight, smell, touch and so on, as well as a feeling or mood. For example, perhaps the feeling underneath your thoughts is self-hatred. Consequently, when thoughts begin to bubble up, they sound like bad-bad, good-good, should-shouldn't. When you become aware of such thoughts, you just let them go and come back to the immediacy of your experience. This in itself is the practice of Maitri or making friends with yourself. Pema Chodron then talks about making aspirations and says, I'm a big fan of making aspirations. I think they are very helpful in our path because they help us to stay in touch with our motivation to develop bodhicitta. The mind trading slogan, two activities, one at the beginning, one at the end, suggests beginning and ending each day by reaffirming your motivation to dissolve barriers, to open your heart and to reach out to people. When you wake up in the morning and go to bed at night, you could make an aspiration. You could use your own words, or repeat a traditional aspiration, such as the four limitless ones. Now, the four limitless ones refers to happiness, freedom from suffering, joy, and equanimity. Pema Chodron has put them into a verse that we can, if we wish, use as an aspiration. May all sentient beings enjoy happiness and the root of happiness. May we be free from suffering and the root of suffering. May we not be separated from the great happiness devoid of suffering may we dwell in a great equanimity free from passion aggression and prejudice in her book she continues sometimes you may feel that the formal practice of Tonglen is too much for you in that case you can simply make the aspiration one day may I be able to open my heart a little more than I can today with this approach There's no blame or self-recrimination. There's just the sincere wish to grow. She then writes about realizing that we're all in the same boat. She says, it's a simple human truth that everyone, just like you, wants to be happy and to avoid suffering. Just like you, everyone else wants to have friends, to be accepted and loved, to be respected and valued for the unique qualities, to be healthy and to feel comfortable with themselves. Just like you, no one else wants to be friendless and alone, to be looked down upon by others, to be sick, to feel inadequate and depressed. The equality practice is simply to remember this fact whenever you meet another person. You think, just like me, she wants to be happy, she doesn't want to suffer. You might choose to practice this for a whole day, or maybe for just an hour or 15 minutes. I really appreciate this practice because it lifts the barrier of indifference to other people's joy, to their private pain and to their wonderful uniqueness. In the way of the Bodhisattva, the great Indian teacher and poet Shantideva stresses the importance of meditating on the equality of self and others in this way. Strive at first to meditate upon the sameness of yourself and others. In joy and sorrow, all are equal. Thus be guardian of all, as of yourself. Jerry Hopkins, the Dalai Lama's translator for 10 years tells a story about traveling with him in the West. Wherever he went, His Holiness would repeat in English, everyone wants happiness, doesn't want suffering. He would go to an airport or a lecture hall or a news conference and say, everyone wants happiness, doesn't want suffering. At first Jeffrey thought, why does he keep saying this? Because it seems so simplistic and ordinary, but after a while, The message began to sink in, and he thought, yes, I need that. It is simple, but it is also profoundly true, and it was exactly the kind of teaching he needed to hear. At first this practice might seem commonplace or shallow to you, but believe me, it's a real eye-opener. It humbles us because it shines a spotlight on our habit of thinking that we are the center of the world. When we acknowledge our shared humanity with another person, we connect with them in a surprisingly intimate way. They become like family to us, and this helps dissolve our isolation and aloneness. The practice of sharing your heart is twofold, sharing happiness and accepting pain. For the first, when anything is delightful in your life, you wish that other people could share it. For the second, when you feel any sense of suffering, you think that many other people are also suffering and you wish that they could be free from it. This is the very essence of the Tonglin outlook. When things are pleasant, think of others. When things are painful, think of others. If this practice is the only thing you remember after reading this book, it will benefit you and everyone you come, come into contact with. When you experience any kind of pleasure or well-being in your life, appreciating a bright spring day a good meal, a cute baby animal, or a nice hot shower. Notice it and cherish it. Such simple pleasures can bring us a lot of joy, tenderness, and a sense of relief. We have many of these fleeting golden moments in our life, but we usually speed right past them. So the first part of the practice is just to stop, notice, and fully appreciate them. Next, you make the wish that other people could also enjoy them. As you do this practice more, you will probably find yourself noticing these moments of happiness and contentment more and more. When you practice giving in this way, you don't bypass your own pleasure or enjoyment. Say you're eating a bowl of delicious strawberries. You don't think, Oh, I shouldn't really be enjoying these so much. Think of all the other people who don't even have a piece of bread to eat. Instead, you should think, Wow, this is a fantastic strawberry. I've never tasted anything so delicious. And you can enjoy your strawberry thoroughly. But then you think, I wish everyone could enjoy this. I hope that they will have a chance to enjoy this too. You could also think of a personal possession that gives you a lot of pleasure, such as your favorite sweater or your favorite tie. Then imagine giving it away to people you meet. This practice isn't about actually giving anything away because you're working at the level of imagination. But it puts you in touch with your habit of grasping, shutting down and not wanting to share things with others. In the process, you develop confidence in your own inherent richness that in fact you always have a lot to give others. Trea Wilber described this kind of giving practice in the book Grace and Grit. Which is about her battle with terminal cancer. She had already been doing Tonglen for a long time. One day she lost a gold star necklace that her parents had had given her which was like a good luck charm because she'd worn it through all her most difficult times, chemotherapy and operations. When she couldn't find it anywhere it seemed like a bad omen and she became depressed. But based on her experience of Tonglen she suddenly got the idea of visualizing millions of these stars and giving them away to benefit everyone she met. During the process of practicing in this way she became acutely aware of her habitual patterns of desire, attachment and clinging and she began to give away anything for which she felt a momentary attachment. Now this didn't always help her to overcome her clinging but through this work she developed compassion for everyone else like her who had good intentions but couldn't quite live up to them. Through this practice that she discovered through her own insight, she was able to get over losing the star and most importantly, learned the joy of dropping attachment and giving to others. Now the second part of the practice is somewhat more advanced, so don't try it unless you feel comfortable with the idea. First, you notice when you experience something that is uncomfortable, painful or unpleasant. Then you make the wish that other people could be completely free of it and imagine sending them whatever you think would bring relief. For example, if you start to feel depressed, you say to yourself, Since I'm feeling depressed anyway, may I accept it fully so that other people can be free of it? Or, since I have toothache anyway, may I accept it completely so that other people may be free of it? And then send them a sense of relief. Just do it very simply, without worrying too much about the logic. Well, for many people, this kind of exchange will seem like too much, too soon. But I present it anyway because I have personally found it very empowering. It turns around the revulsion and paranoia that we normally feel about anything unpleasant, the feeling that we are the target, and we use it as fuel for awakening the heart. Traffic Jam Tong Lin is a specific instance of this practice. It's about working with all the uncomfortable feelings that you experience when you're stuck in a traffic jam, or perhaps in a very long line at the market. Anger, resentment, restlessness, uptightness, fear of missing an appointment. First you look around and realize that all the other people stuck in the jam are feeling the same way as you do. Then you breathe in fully whatever you're feeling and send out a sense of relaxation and relief, both for yourself and all the other people in the traffic jam. You realize that, as human beings, you're all in the same boat. Everyone is putting up barriers and using the discomfort of the traffic jam to feel more and more isolated. So you turn the situation around and it becomes your link with all the other people stuck in their cars. Suddenly, as you look out the window at them, they all become human beings. This practice is really the essence of the Tonglen approach. Because I have found it very helpful for myself, I like to recommend it to all my students. Even if you choose not to do the formal Tonglen practice, you can always do this on the spot practice. Once you get used to it and practice it regularly, it will make formal Tonglen practice more real and meaningful to you. This is a practice that you can do for a real-life situation you meet in daily life. Whenever you meet a situation that awakens your compassion or that is painful and difficult for you, you can stop for a moment, breathe in any suffering that you see and breathe out a sense of relief. It is a simple and direct process. Unlike the formal practice, it does not involve any visualizations or steps. It's a simple and natural exchange. You see suffering, you take it in with the in-breath, you send out relief with the out-breath. For example, you might be in the supermarket and see a mother slapping a little girl. It's painful for you to see, but there's really nothing you can say or do at that moment. Your first reaction might be to turn away out of fear and try to forget it. But in this practice, instead of turning away, you could actually start to do Tong Lin for the little girl who's crying, and also for the angry mother who has reached the end of her rope. You can send out a general sense of relaxation and openness or something specific, like a hug or a kind word or whatever feels right to you at the moment. It's not all that conceptual, it's almost spontaneous. When you contact a painful situation in this way and stay with it, you can open up your heart and become the source of compassion. You can do Tonglen on the spot when strong emotions come up and you don't know what to do with them. For example, you might be having a painful argument with your spouse or your boss at work. They're yelling at you and you don't know how to react. So you can start to breathe in the painful feelings and send out a sense of spaciousness and relaxation with the outbreath. for yourself, for the person who's yelling at you, and for all the other people who are dealing with a similar difficult situation. Of course, at some point, you have to react to the person who's yelling at you but by introducing some space and warmth into the situation, you will probably deal with it more skillfully. And there, we must leave Tong Len and Pema children for our time is up. Thanks for being with us today, and if it is of benefit, please tune in again next week. As we go, please dedicate any positive potential from the program to gaining enlightenment for all beings. Thank you, and goodbye.